Good morning, church. You know, when I was in college, I had a group of roommates that were a little bit different than me. They, they proudly referred to themselves as the nerd herd. And they were like real legit nerds. Like not those people that just like said it to say it. Like, like they were the people that like if I considered myself a nerd, they, they would have completely freaked out. Because they're like, no, there's no way you're a nerd. You play those mainstream games like Call of Duty. And we, we play games you've never heard of. They introduced me to stuff like the card game Magic the Gathering. Like that, like that's like the, the number one nerd card. Or like, like Dungeons and Dragons was this game they loved to play. And if you don't know what that is, it's this game that's basically a board game, but like there's no board. You're pretty much just using your imagination, and there's someone who's kind of leading you through the game, if you will. And, and the reason why I bring that up is because that was so fascinating to me to the point that I really wanted to do it one time. I was like, can I just play one time with you guys? And they're like, no, only if you'll commit to do it for the entire semester. Like they did not mess around with this game. They took it so incredibly seriously, a game that doesn't really have any necessarily real real rules you're pretty much just making it up as you go and every time they would go to this game i had these two brothers i lived with and these two brothers would come home from this imaginary game and they would be so mad at the other people in the game like they would come back and there would be so if you've ever been around people who play dungeons and dragons it's a very like they they get really into it and, and they would come home, and these two brothers would either be so mad at these other people, or they'd be fighting with each other about something that happened. And they'd be going back and forth, and I, being the nice, sweet, tolerant, loving person that I am, would be in the corner of the room laughing at them. Be like, it's just a game! And suddenly these two brothers that had been fighting a moment ago would suddenly unite and turn and yell at me. It's more than a game. To me, it seemed kind of silly. But then there's a lot of things in our world that we get really revved up about that seem kind of silly. I mean, for me, I'm, I'm kind of a sports fan, but I'm not some of those people that just lives and dies by it. But you ever get around someone? You ever seen somebody break their TV while they're watching a sports game? Or ever seen videos of that? Or somebody smashes their $500 TV because some team of people that they'll never meet in their entire life decided to play somewhat poorly in a game. Like there's sometimes things that people get so, so fired up and revved up about and will fight each other. And throughout history, there's been moments of things that are just so incredibly silly. And if you pull back for a moment, you look at it and you go, what are you doing? Like that doesn't really matter. You know, thankfully, if you look at church history, there's never been a moment in the church where we fought over things that don't matter, thankfully. Well, actually, it's true. You look at the church, look at the body of believers, there's been a lot of moments where we fought over some things that didn't really matter. Like, we've just been so at each other's throats over stuff that Jesus didn't seem too concerned about when he was on earth, but suddenly we know best. There's been churches that have split over carpet color, or what kind of music we should be playing. I remember when I was young, I got to be a part of a church that was really wonderful. But then I also got to experience my first church split. Boy, that was interesting. We're in a denomination that I won't name, but they're kind of the UFC of church denominations. They like a good fight. And uh, 
they, they, uh, there was this moment where the pastor wanted to preach about something that's in the Bible, and he brought it up, and long story short, it, it turned into this whole thing. And I, I just remember this moment. My parents were wonderful parents, and, and one of the things they did, they brought me into rooms that were beyond my age so that I could mature and grow up. And it's a great thing. My mom's laughing because she knows where this is going. <laughs> it is an amazing thing to bring your kids into rooms that are, are above their maturity level so they can grow. The problem was it was not above my maturity level at 10 years old. It was below my maturity level. That room was terrible. They bring me into this room, and I don't remember everything that was said. I just remember the faces. Like people were just, their, their faces were contorted as they were speaking, and they're just so mad. We love Jesus so much! Get him out of here! Just, ah! So my mom goes, all right, maybe we'll bring Timothy to a more mature room. They took me to the kids' area. And so my mom, it's, it was the craziest thing. My mom takes me, drops me off in the kids' area. She comes back into this big room, and they voted while she was gone, and they're waiting on her. She's the last vote, and it's perfectly tied. And they decided to keep the pastor by one vote, my mom's. And literally the church split in half at that moment. And the church ended up dying because it just, I mean, it just, it couldn't sustain it. The reason I say that is because I think that breaks God's heart. When we as believers who say we believe in Jesus are so intent on just punching each other instead of focusing on worshiping him. Sometimes we get so mad and fired up in life. Even on a personal level, there's things where we get so fired up. You know, you ever talk to your kids when they, they, they get in a moment where they go to school and they've they got drama going on and they come home and they're talking about the drama in their life and the things that are making them so mad and you try not to laugh because you're like, <laughs> that's kind of stupid. I wonder how often God looks at us in the church or us as believers the way we treat other people and he's like, man, you're mad about that? Are you kidding me? See, the reason why I want to talk about this today is because I think this really matters to God. I want to talk about some things that really, really matter to Jesus. See, Jesus in John chapter 17, we've been in this this passage of Scripture looking at the last things that Jesus taught before he went to the cross. And in John chapter 17, Jesus comes and he prays for his disciples. He prays for God to be with him. He prays some very specific things over them. But then he changes course and he prays for someone else. He prays for you. Did you know that? You know, Jesus prayed for you. The last thing that Jesus prayed before he was arrested was a prayer for you and me. I want to read it to you today. In John chapter 17, starting in verse 20, he says, My prayer is not for them alone, talking about his disciples. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. Turn to someone and say, That's you. That all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them, even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am. And to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you love me before the creation of the world. 
Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know you have sent me. I have made you known to them, and I will continue to make them known, make you known, in order that the love you have for me may be in them, and that I myself may be in them. God, would you just speak through your word today? Would you just draw us closer and closer to you today? And God, I pray that those words that Jesus prayed would apply to us today. And if they don't, would you help us through your Holy Spirit to grow and look more and more like you in everything that we do? In your name we pray. Amen. See, in this moment, I think we see what really, really matters to Jesus. And the first thing I think that really, really matters to Jesus is unity with each other. Unity is a body of believers. He says, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. That's important. I've given them the glory that you gave me. that They may also be one as we are one. I in them and you and me. So that we may be brought, they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. See, Jesus, his, the first thing he prays for those who will believe, for you and I, is that we would be one. We'd be unified. Now, sometimes we get into these things, it's like, what does that even mean? How can we possibly be unified? We're so different. Come from so many different backgrounds. There's so many different beliefs. But see, I think one thing we don't always understand is that unity doesn't mean conformity. Unity doesn't mean that we all look the same. In, the, in, in Paul's letters, he talks about how we're all the body of Christ. We're all a little bit different. Some people are eyes. Some people are hands. Some people are heads. There's all different types. There's all different parts to the body. And the fact is, we're not all going to think the same. We're not always going to get along. We're not always going to have the exact same ideas. We're not all going to have the exact same thoughts. But we're going to have some things that really unite us. Like, for instance, in this room, we all probably have different ideas. We all probably have different ideas when it comes to politics, but we're all Americans, as far as I know. We're all, we're all citizens of the same country, but we're unified in this fact that we, even though we're not maybe unified on some issues, we're probably unified in one thing, that we're all citizens of a country. And in the same way, as Christians, I think we can all agree on some key details. See, unity starts with what we belong to, or more importantly, who we belong to. You know, I've heard, if you look at the New Testament, over and over again, the, the church is referred to as a fellowship. First John talks about being in fellowship with God, in fellowship with one another. And I love that word, fellowship. This sounds fancy. I just like saying it. Fellowship. Turn to someone and say fellowship. Fellowship. You know, I love that word because I heard a fantastic definition of the word fellowship. It's two fellows on the same ship. Now, I don't know if any of you have ever been on a cruise ship. Anybody ever been on a cruise ship before? Man, I, I grew up getting to do it. It's absolutely awesome. It's one of the best bangs for your buck. And it's such an interesting thing. You get on this ship with, like, the population of Del Rapids pretty much, right? I mean, that, that size, right? And you get on, and you all get on this ship. You're all on the same ship. But there's all these crazy cool things to do. Like, there's so much fun stuff to do on a cruise ship. 
And if you talk to someone and you ask them what they're going to do for fun, their idea of fun might be a lot different than my idea of fun. Right? They might be doing some things that, that I don't really want to do. There might even be some things, honestly, on a cruise ship that I don't agree with that I'm probably not going to partake in whatsoever. And so we have some different ideas of what's fun. Probably have some different ideas of what will bring joy to our life, what the best investment of our time is. But if you get on a cruise ship and you're going to Alaska and you ask somebody, man, what are you most excited about? They're probably not going to say, I can't wait to see the Bahamas. I can't wait to go to Key West. You'd probably say, you're you're probably on the wrong ship, buddy. Because when you're on a cruise ship, you understand that, man, we have some different ideas along the way, but we're all going to the same place. And when we're in fellowship with one another, we might have some different ideas about some things along the way, but we're all heading to the same place, to heaven with Jesus, because we all have the same eternal destination if we're believers in Jesus Christ. And so often we get focused on what, what slide we should go on, what restaurant we should eat at, but we take away from the fact that we're all going to the same place. I, I've heard one pastor say it this way. He said, man, there's another believer he was having some issues with, and He's like, man, I, you know, we're having some issues, but hey, that guy might be my roommate in heaven, so I don't want it to be awkward. I'm going to patch this up because I love him. See, the thing is, Jesus calls his people to unity. He says in verse 22, I and them and you and me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. I and them and you and me. Meaning this. If Jesus is in me and has everything, and Jesus is in you and has everything, there shouldn't be a lot of things that can really break us apart long term. Like, if you and I are both following Jesus and he has everything in our life, then there shouldn't be a lot of things that can really cause disunity to agree between us. We might have disagreements. We might disagree on some certain things. We might disagree on what kind of music is best. You know, maybe politically we're different. You know, I voted for so-and-so. Maybe you voted for Kanye. You know, there's just like all different things. Maybe we're in different places with that. But if I really love Jesus and he has everything in my life, and you love Jesus and have everything in your life, I'll say it this way. Anytime in my life that I've seen two believers who have a major, major disagreement, what I've often found when, when, there's this, when there's something that just truly divides them, like they just can't even be in the same room together, what I have often found is that one or both of them might have an issue with Jesus being Lord and Jesus having everything. Because I have found anytime I want to hold a grudge against someone, that's a part of my life that Jesus doesn't have. Man, I can disagree with people, but the way I treat people when I disagree with them is vastly different when Jesus has everything versus when I'm trying to do it myself. That makes sense? See, so often we want to focus on the externals of our life rather than focusing on the internals, or more importantly, the eternals of our life. See, unity doesn't always mean that we'll always agree with each other. I love what it says in Ephesians 4, 3, to make every effort, other, other versions say fight, to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit. And Paul is writing that to groups of people that had a lot of issues with each other. 
they were not all in the same bubble. If you go back to the early church, oh my gosh, there was so many different political factions, so many different cultures and belief systems that were coming together. But one of the things that you see over and over again is that they focused, first of all, on the majors, Christ and him crucified before they got to the minors. How many of you have ever read the book, Gulliver's Travels? Anybody ever read the book? Oh, yeah, a couple people, absolutely. You've seen the movie? Anybody seen the movies, Gulliver Travels? Everybody knows the story, right? Gulliver washes ashore. Well, it's a, a series of adventures in the book. But the biggest one is he washes ashore and suddenly finds that there's all these little people on this little island. They're all about this big, and he kind of has these interactions with them. If you, if you go back to the original book, what's really interesting about it is this. It was a masterpiece. It was a scathing indictment of the political and social culture of the day. Like everything in that book is an allegory for something that the author was making fun of. Like the entire book is making fun of the political system. It's it's making some philosophical arguments. It's a very deep book. There's this moment where Gulliver washes ashore and suddenly finds that he is this giant in a land of very, very small people. And he starts learning about their culture and he finds that they have this major political disagreement. Anybody remember what that political disagreement was? It was what end of an egg to crack? The big end or the small end? And it had divided an entire country. And what he was doing in that moment was the the author is kind of making fun of the political system of the day. Kind of insinuating that maybe the political parties of the day were arguing about whether or not to crack the big end or the small end of an egg, something that trivial, and dividing and fighting over it when most of us would crack an egg in the middle, right? Because that's the best way to do it. So they're fighting over two things that are both kind of wrong. It's funny because he's basically making fun of this group of people, saying from Gulliver's view, he sees a group of little people that are fighting over things that don't matter, but they matter really, really passionately to them if you read the book. I wonder if God sometimes looks down at us and the things we get mad about, the things we fight over, the things we kill over, and if he sees just a bunch of little people running around fighting over which end of an egg to crack. There's a great book called Crucial Conversations. It's a book that's about those moments, those conversations where there's strong emotions and high stakes and opposing opinions. That can be in any environment. And what I love about the book is that it basically hypothesizes that anytime there's a major conflict, anytime there's a brokenness of a relationship, it's because there was a lack of or a poorly held crucial conversation basically saying that that in a moment maybe there's a relational issue with someone or an issue at work or an issue in the church or an issue in any area it's because either a crucial conversation didn't happen or because it was handled poorly a moment where tensions were high and maybe someone said something that was really insensitive or they just went yeah i'm just not going to talk to him about it see what the book talks about i love is the fact that when it comes to having conversations with people, when it comes to moments where we disagree or we have a rub with each other, we're either going to do one of two things. We're either going to talk it out or we're going to act it out. Meaning this, if I have an issue with you, I'm either going to talk to you about it and tell you how I feel, or you will find out how I feel by the way I act towards you. 
You ever had a moment where someone acted out their feelings towards you? Anybody ever been there? Where'd that come from? Man, you ever had a moment with someone where it's like, man, I have sinned for a while. You really don't like me. What is going on? And they tell you, well, five years ago. What? Well, I've had those. People holding on to hurt. And I've seen it even in a church where people will have something that was kind of silly, but it happened so many years ago and the wound has festered because they just never talked about it and said, hey, you really made me mad. I've had people mad at me that I'm like, man, if you just give me an opportunity, I gladly would have apologized for that. I'm an idiot. That probably was something stupid I said. I don't remember. I'm sorry. But instead, we let it fester. Because when it comes to talking with people, when it comes to unity, when it comes to continuing our relationship with one another and keeping it healthy, when there's moments when things are tense, we're either going to talk it out or we're going to act it out. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 18, that if someone sins against you, the moment where they do something terrible to you, they sin against you. Now, the fact is, this goes for any time that you have a disagreement with someone, I believe. But he said, if someone sins against you, go to them privately and talk to them about it. And if that doesn't get anywhere, now I want you to go and get a couple other trusted people and have a group conversation. Bring some other people into the conversation and then go from there. But, but the problem is this. What I see in the world today is a lot of times our model is this. You make me mad. We kind of talk about it. I either go and I just say, hey, I don't like that. We get in each other's face. Or we don't talk about it. I just shove it down deep. I go talk to all my friends about it and tell them how much you suck. And then I go, and, and then when I'm around you, man, I try to undermine you every chance I get because in my mind now, you're a terrible person because you did this thing so, ever, so many ever years ago, and now I just really don't like you. And now it comes out in the way that I talk about, talk about you. It comes out in the way I act towards you. All because we didn't work out this one little incident. Because now, now that I don't like you over here, I'm just looking for more ammunition, right? I'm just looking for ways. The moment you do something, oh, that just, just add it to the ledger. Before you know it, I built up in my mind. Yep, I got all these reasons why, man, this person is just absolutely terrible. See, the fact is, wounds that aren't allowed to heal are just going to fester and they're going to turn into disease. And the fact is, if we don't talk about things, they're, they're never going to get better in any relationship in your life. That's why Jesus says, go talk to the person so incredibly important, whether it's in the church, whether it's in your workplace, whether it's in your marriage, whether it's with your kids, any relationship in your life, having conversations when things are tense are so incredibly important. But also how we talk about people is so incredibly important. So often we run around, we talk about, talk to everyone else about how they hurt us, except the person who hurt us. Like we go talk to everyone else. That's why the Bible talks over and over again in the New Testament about how gossip is so incredibly dangerous. Talking about people behind their back is so incredibly dangerous. That's why it says in Ephesians 4.29, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. That's why for me, I have a rule that if the person isn't in the room, and the thing that I want to say is not glowingly positive, and I have zero intention or ability to actually help that person. Like, for instance, I mean, if, if Joe Blow is, is having an issue with maybe an addiction, well, 
if I'm in his life, well, then that's a little different thing. If we come and go, hey, I think Joe's got a problem. We need to have an intervention. That's a completely different thing. But if we're just sitting there talking about, man, did you hear about what he did? Did you hear he got another DUI? Oh, my gosh, what an idiot. Can you believe that? We're gossiping. We're talking about other, if we're talking about people that are not in the room and it's not positive, boy, I always stop myself now and really try to go, man, why am I talking about this? Why, am I, why is their name in my mouth? Why am I talking about them? Watching how we talk about people is so incredibly important. Watching that it's things that are positive and loving. Because, I mean, what would it look like if we were actually committed to that as a church? Because the fact is, the church people should be the people you want to know everything about you. Like, the church people should be the ones that you should be like, man, I want them to know about all the ways I messed up, because they love me anyways. They should be, we should be those people that are so loving and full of Jesus that it's like, man, I know they don't agree with all my lifestyle choices, but I'm going to tell them anyways, because I know they're not going to spread it, and they're just going to love me to death. That's who we should be. So the first thing that matters to Jesus in this prayer is having unity with each other. But then I think there's another type of unity that's super important. He talks about it's that unity with him, unity with Jesus matters. In in verse 25, he says, Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you. And they know that you've sent me. I've made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them. And that I myself may be in them. So that the love you have for me may be in them. That I myself may be in them. In every area of your life, do you know who's in you matters? You know, there, there used to be this event I'd go to on Wednesday mornings. It was a men's breakfast. It was at 6 a.m., and uh, for me right now, that would be early. But at that point in my life, I was like 21 years old. That was really, really early, like way earlier. I was like, that's what a sunrise looks like. Like it, it was it was a little different for me. And so I go to this men's breakfast one day and eat all this food I don't normally eat at 6 a.m. I eat all these greasy sausages and bacon and biscuits and gravy, and I just load up. And now I got, after we get done, I have all this time between now and when I need to go to work. And I'm like, well, what do I do now? Because I'm, I'm really, th- I've got a full belly. I'm thinking about going to sleep. They're like, no, you can't go to sleep. Let's do something. So I think, well, you know, all the mature people in my life, they get up early in the exercise, right? So I decided to go for a run. Quick reminder, I had greasy sausage, bacon, biscuits and gravy for breakfast that I would not normally have at that time in the morning. And I learned a very, very important lesson that day. What's in you matters. <laughs> and when you come under stress, sometimes what's in you will show itself in certain ways. And the same is true for us. You know, I've heard it said that people are a lot like tea bags. You don't really know what's inside of them until you put them in some hot water and see the same is true for believers in christ when we have conflict with each other when we have conflict in our life when we have hot water in our life what you're going to see is what's inside of me when i get in a stressful situation when when i get into a moment where you and i aren't really getting along you're going to see how much jesus is in me it's when you do something that's, that, that, that is hurtful to me, that's when you're going to see how much Jesus is in me. 
It's how I react. What I say back. How I love you in the process. Very, very key. See, it's when we get into these types of situations that we see how much Jesus is in us. It's really easy for me to show up and fake it for an hour. It's easy for any of us to show up here and look really good when we're at church, but how is it in the rest of our week? What would our coworkers say, our families say? Who is really in us? And if we're having problems relationally with other people, we're just constantly getting into to little scuffles, and we're constantly getting into things with other people, the question that I always have for anyone that's going through that is this, who's in you? Is there a part of your life that Jesus doesn't have yet? Because when Jesus is in me, that's what's going to flow out of me. When God's word is in me, that's what's going to flow out of me. When relationship and and, and accountability are in my life, that's what's going to show itself when things get tough. But I've had some moments where, man, I just, I had one last night. I was getting a little stressed out about some stuff. And I just got really, really frustrated and angry with myself. And all of a sudden I'm like, gosh, who is in me? What is this? It's just that reminder that, man, we constantly have to be getting more and more of Jesus, living our lives in him. It's so incredibly important. Unity with Jesus really, really matters. Unity with each other really, really matters. But on top of that, others being unified with Jesus really, really matters. I love how it talks about this. He talks about the fact that the world will know that you sent me. And have loved them even as you have loved me. Then in verse 26 he said, I've made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them, that I myself may be in them. We'll continue to make you known. And then then Jesus, before he leaves the earth, turns to his disciples in Matthew 28. And said, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. One of the things we see over and over and over and over and over again in Jesus' ministry is that lost people matter. When Jesus talks about the kingdom of heaven, he talks about the prodigal son talks about the shepherd that goes and leaves the 99 to go and find the one. He says to the Pharisees, I have not come for the healthy, I've come for the sick. Over and over again, Jesus shows, and then he says to his disciples, he says to his followers, he says to us, go be like me. Go have the same heart that I have. And the thing is, each and every one of us have a commission. The great commission, if I'm a believer and follower of Jesus, is my commission to go and make disciples. And the thing is, you and I each have a unique aura, a a, a unique universe that God has put us in, an orbit, if you will, that God has put us in with people around us. There are people that you have in your life that I will probably never meet. There's people in my life that you will probably never meet. There's people who like you that don't like me. There's people you can relate to that I can't relate to because God has put each and every one of us in a unique mission field. God has put people in your life that he wants to touch through you. And if you're obedient to him, listening to the Holy Spirit and spending time with him, he wants to use you as a vessel of his love to pour out to people around us. 
And that's, that's why, just to go back for a second, that's why I'm so excited about Easter, because I believe that each and every one of you have people in your life that God wants to impact through you. Whether it's through a conversation, an invite to church, you just loving on them while their kids are picking up Easter eggs at a park. Whatever it is, God has people around you at the grocery store, in your workplace, in your family, that God wants to impact through you. You know, sometimes I think when it comes to introducing people to Jesus, we feel kind of off-put by that. Like sometimes we say, well, I don't know what to say. I, I, I don't know what I would even say to someone. I, I just want to share three really simple things that, that, are, that are three things that just, they, they're, they're natural, that can come out of us. Three things we can do to introduce people to Jesus. The first one is this, your reasons for things. You ever look at somebody and just said, what's wrong with them? You ever, you ever think that to yourself? What, what is their deal? You know, when you're a believer in Jesus, eventually you're going to do some things that people are going to look at you and go, what's their deal? Why are they loving people like that? Why would they forgive them? Why, why would they say things like that? And in those moments, we get to give people our reasons. You know, maybe there's a moment where everyone's talking about a certain person. Man, they're, they're, they're bashing the boss. They're bashing this person. But all of a sudden you say, you know, I, I'm, I'm not going to say anything bad about them. And maybe they say, well, why is that? Well, because, see, the Bible says we're all sinners, and I've messed a lot of things up, and God has really loved me. And I want to share that same love with them, so I'm not going to say anything bad about them. I'm just going to love them. Whew. What's your deal? Let me introduce you to him. Maybe it's just sharing your story. The Bible says that we should share the reason for our hope. Fact is, we all have a reason for the hope that we have in Jesus. So often we think of something like a testimony and we think, oh, I don't have one. Yes, you do. Man, we, we, we all have a story of what God's done in our life. And for, for those of us who are really walking with Jesus, it should be a continuing story. It should be a lot less like a dusty old book and a lot more like a, a, a Facebook post meaning that there should be constant updates in your life. Man, God did this today. God did this yesterday. Yeah, yeah, man, God just answered this prayer. God, God's doing things in my life right now. You know, if you hang around me for any period of time, eventually I'm going to talk about my wife because I am in relationship with her. We spend a lot of time together. And therefore, something in my life is going to trigger something where I say, even if I'm not necessarily telling you about it, it's just going to come up. Yeah, my wife said. Why? Because we're married. We're in a relationship. And the thing is, if we're in a relationship with God, if we're walking with Jesus each and every day, then eventually it's just going to come up in our life. And finally, the third thing I want to talk about is this. Man, I already mentioned it before, but man, an invite is an easy, easy way. We should all be talking about Jesus, but an easy way just to introduce someone to Jesus. Who in your life doesn't have a church home that we can invite, especially next weekend, but anytime. Just come along with you. Come, come sit by me. Love to have you. The thing is, the reason why I think this is so incredible is that Jesus took time to make sure these words were written, to take time to, as he's praying to pray for you and I. What's even more cool is that right after this, we know the rest of the story. He's going to be arrested. He's going to be beaten, whipped, hung on a cross for our sins. He's going to be subjected to the lowliest 
forms of punishment of that day. And he's going to breathe his last for every sin, every moment that you and I have blown it, every moment that we've completely and totally messed it up, every moment where we've thought, man, I'm just too far from God, everything we've done that's pushed God away, every moment where we say, God, I'm not going to worship you, I'm going to worship this instead, I'm going to worship myself instead, God, I'm going to do things my way instead of your way. Every single moment, Jesus hangs on a cross and dies for. And I mean, that's kind of a nice story in of itself. It's, it's sad, but at the same time, it's like, okay, well, great, somebody died for my sins, that's great. Or at least maybe for those sins. I don't know if that's continuing on or not, but then... What I love about our God, what I love about the Easter story, is that the story's not over. That even when things seem dead, they're not really dead. Nothing stays dead long when it's next to God. And suddenly in three days, we celebrate the fact on Easter that Jesus rose from the dead and is sitting at the right hand of the Father right now. It's an amazing, amazing story. It's an amazing, amazing moment. And it's one worth sharing with the world. And so today, I just want to invite us, as we continue to worship our amazing God, celebrating who He is, I want to invite us to take a moment and just ask ourselves, God, do I really worship you in my life? Do I know you? Maybe it's time today to start a relationship with Him for the first time Because the fact is, the Bible says that just like the father in the story of the prodigal son, he's waiting for us. He wants to come running out with open arms to welcome us home. Maybe there's things in our life where we look at the way we treat other people, our unity with others. Maybe there's some things we've been doing where we've been kind of hitting each other a little bit, fighting over how to break some eggs. Maybe it's time for us to take a moment and say, no, I'm going to put that aside. Or maybe it's time for us to just go have a conversation and say, okay, We need to talk this out because our unity together is more important than the awkwardness of this conversation. I love you too much. I want to pray for us. And I just want to invite you as you bow your heads just to open up your hearts to whatever God's doing in your life. We just want to say, God, we are so grateful for who you are. I want to pray for every person who can hear the sound of my voice that you would just be working in them to draw them closer and closer to you. And God, if there's anything in us that isn't unified, that's divisive, that's hurting other people, if we're talking badly about others, God, if there's things in our life that don't look like you, God, would you convict us and help us and shape us and mold us to truly look like you? God, would you give us a heart to walk with you, God, would you continue to, to help us draw us into a relationship with you that's more than just momentary, but it's each and every moment of the each and every day. And God, would you give us a broken heart for what breaks yours? For those that don't know you yet, God, would you break our hearts and make us just open our eyes to those around us who don't know you yet that we can introduce to you? God, you are so good and great and amazing. God, we cannot wait to see how you continue to work in us. In your precious and holy name we pray. Amen.